T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We can't say that all of them are always false just no. by default. And that's that's one of the big issues with conspiracy theories because we can't disprove them. Right? There's no proof that Bigfoot exists, but there's no proof that he doesn't. If we hope to survive in this digital age, we have to think critically about the messages we consume. Someone created those messages for a reason. Let's find out why. Sometimes we just have to ask, what the media? I'm Megan Lynch, host and reporter at Legacy 50,000-watt AM radio station KMOX in St. Louis, Missouri. In my three decades as a journalist, I've had the honor of receiving a number of awards for my work, including one I'm most proud of, a National Edward R. Murrow Award. I'm joined by Julie Smith, author of Master the Media, How Teaching Media Literacy Can Save Our Plugged-In World. As an instructor and public speaker, Julie teaches how to dissect what you see and hear so you can be a savvy digital consumer. In this episode, why conspiracy theories thrive online. Conspiracy theories have existed since the time of the Roman emperors. That's when I saw some of the first evidence of this. But now they have a broader, better platform on the Internet and social media. Julie, I think we need to start with how we define conspiracy theory, because I think it can have a different connotation depending on who's talking about it. Well, sure, because we could talk about Bigfoot. We could talk about Area 51. (laughs) We could talk about QAnon, right? There's a wide range. And there's a difference between conspiracy theories and old wives' tales or superstitions. Usually conspiracy theories have a theory, but without much evidence or explanation. And the issue now is that they can travel so quickly, right? They travel at the speed of light. So we need to be really um, aware of what they are, what they mean, and how we can counteract them. You know, they talk about things being proven using a historical or scientific method. You know, that if it's if it can't be proven that way, then it's a conspiracy theory. But really, I mean, we can't say that all of them are always false just no. by default. And that's that's one of the big issues with conspiracy theories because we can't disprove them. Right? There's no proof that Bigfoot exists, but there's no proof that he doesn't. I read some research that said everybody believes in at least one conspiracy theory. And I thought that was really weird. But the example he gave was, the ref hates my team. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And so I thought, okay, conspiracy theories can range from watching your favorite sports teams all the way to huge international conglomerates. Do most of them have some, some nugget of truth or some element that someone could say, well, yes, you know, we can find this fact about it? And conspiracy theories fill in where the facts don't exist. 
So if there is one little nugget, right, it's easy to fill in the gaps. And I think that's where a lot of it comes in. It comes from our, um, I think, our desire for knowledge and sometimes our desire to explain things that we can't explain. And I think that because the world has become such a crazy place, some of these become more believable than maybe they would have been a couple of decades ago. That's true, especially because of the filter bubbles we live in in our social media platforms. But also, there's some research that says boredom leads to conspiracy theories. You know, if you have nothing to think about, your mind can go in many, many directions. And maybe that's where some of these um, germinate. Mm-hmm. What What are you seeing as far as the the methods that some of the people behind these conspiracy theories are using to get these messages out? It's so easy to find an old photo, right? The photo's legitimate, but if you reframe it or recycle it or recaption it, you can make it represent almost anything. And so I think the technology makes it so easy now to not necessarily just spread, but encourage conspiracy theories because you can create items that look like evidence, right? And that didn't exist 100 years ago. But now those tools are so readily available to everybody and it's so easy to spread. And it's so easy to edit. Yes, yes. Take out what you don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Add people in. (laughs) So when we're looking at these, one of the things that I noticed just in the during the pandemic was not only just pictures, but videos. Mm -hmm. It seemed that there were a lot more of these slick, self-produced videos. Oftentimes you would find them on YouTube. Those are much harder to disprove the videos. But you have to go back to the whole critical thinking questions, right? Who's the sender of the message? What's their motive or intent? How is this message created? There was an interesting, I don't, I don't want to say like stream of videos that came out over the summer of people driving around hospital parking lots that were completely empty, saying this pandemic is a hoax. These hospitals aren't busy. The news is lying to you. Mm-hmm. Okay, I remember those. Yeah. So one of the things I did with one of the videos is check where and when the video was uploaded, check the time of day. And for example, this one was filmed right when the shift change was happening. So of course there's no nothing happening in the parking lot. And they never made reference to the fact that there were no elective procedures going on at the time. So there's no visitors allowed. What this particular conspiracy theory didn't cover, all the reasons why the parking lot would be empty, besides the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic was a hoax. And so then what we see is we see people picking up on these and sharing these with their friends Mm -hmm. and their acquaintances on social media and saying, see, this this backs up what you and I were talking about just last week. There's research that says that when society is going through collective trauma, we're more likely to believe conspiracy theories because we're trying to make sense of things we can't control. And I think that falls directly into what's been happening the last 12 months. We haven't been able to control this. And at least for the first few months, there was very little actual information we had about the virus, right? Where it came from, how it spreads, et cetera. And so there were all of these gaps for this additional information to fill in. So this was a perfect storm for conspiracy theories because we had the methods to spread them. And we had the collective trauma without complete knowledge of what was happening. So we just filled in those blanks. How much do social media algorithms feed us some of these things? Or is that another conspiracy (laughs) theory? (laughs) Where'd you hear that, Megan? (laughs) 
Um, no, the algorithms are real. They can be proven. They play an enormous role because, say, for example, if you're on YouTube and you might watch one conspiracy video about something, if you watch that video all the way through, if you like it or if you comment on it, you are giving YouTube that information. And remember, YouTube's whole job is to keep you on their website, not necessarily to feed you accurate information. They just want your eyeballs, right? So the algorithm picks up on that. So now YouTube's recommended videos on the side are going to be more videos like the one you watched all the way through and the one you liked. And if you like the next one, you're giving YouTube even more information. So that algorithm now knows what you like and knows what will keep you on the website longer. So it's going to continually feed you that material. And after a while, you're going to think that's just normal, all that material you're consuming, because it's on a screen, right? It's YouTube. You're never, YouTube is never going to give you something that you don't want to see because that's not their job. Their job is to keep you on the website. In class, sometimes we call them YouTube black holes because when you start clicking on those recommended videos, you can just go further and further and further into whatever topic you are learning about at the time. How careful do we have to be in trying to debate these conspiracy <laughs> theories with people? Yeah, you know, I, um, I tried to find out the best way to do that. And there isn't one. There isn't one. There's a professor from Tulane named Jeff Dancy. And he suggests that instead of counteracting, like with information, because t people tend to double down, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of counteracting them, say, explain to me how you came to this opinion. Or explain to me how you got this knowledge. Have them try to walk you through it. And hopefully through that process, they realize that they really haven't been given any facts. Now, they won't necessarily admit it, right? But that is certainly a more effective way to deal with it than saying, you know, you're wrong. Because people don't like to hear that. How much more effective is it when someone appears to be scholarly or has some type of position, like they're a doctor or a professor or a researcher or, you know, and we don't know if it's, you know, it could be an electronic degree from someplace, but, you know, <laughs> they put these... AI, right? It <laughs> could be a robot. <laughs> they put these credentials out there. Does that seem to make some of these conspiracies travel further and carry more weight? I, my original thought would be yes, but I just read this book by Tom Nichols called The Death of Expertise, where he talks about how Google has made us all experts in everything now. And so we don't really pay attention to the quote unquote experts in any field anymore because we feel like we know as much as they do. Uh, so I think years ago I would have said, oh, yeah, experts make a deal, make a difference. But I don't know if it's really if that's the case anymore, because I don't think we pay as much attention to experts as we used to. And he came up with something really interesting. Well, I don't think he came up with it, but he talked about it in the book called Occam's Razor. The idea that the simplest explanation for anything is usually the most likely one. But we tend to make everything such so much more complicated than it needs to be. What is the danger for our nation as information consumers and as much information as we gather now? I mean, if you look at the stats on anyone's phone about how many hours they've been on their phone a day. Oh, I'm so searching. ashamed whenever it tells me. Yeah, it's crazy how much information we really are taking in. What's the danger of these theories? I think that 
they alter our perceptions of reality. And I know that sounds probably alarmist, but when you study the media, and like you said, we're consuming more information now than ever. The average American now, I think, is between 11 and 12 hours a day, right? Mm -hmm. So, of course, it's going to affect our worldview. It's going to affect how we view ourselves, how we view others. Not always in a negative way, but it is our primary source of information. So, I think that the conspiracy theories are going to be around forever because they have been around forever. (laughs) But hopefully, at least experiences that people have had in the last year will encourage people to ask more questions and at least be aware of how they travel and why. And you know what, too? um, For a lot of these conspiracy theories, the, the people that believe in them now have a community that they didn't have before. And that's a really significant part. There's a lot of research from... The, um, the QAnon group, that they found people who think, feel, believe, and vote the way that they do, and they found a community in that group that they didn't have otherwise. And that is really, really powerful. So if you are involved in a community that supports you... Whereas before you may have thought you were on a fringe and you were completely... Right, right. Yeah, you might there. have thought you were the only person that felt that way. You find a whole group that feels the same way you do, you don't want to give that up because we're social beings, right? And there's so little now that we can join around, you know, because of the pandemic and everything else. We don't have those shared experiences anymore. So if we get those shared experiences through a conspiracy theory, well, then I, I wouldn't want to give that up. And I would say from my perspective, as I've seen some of these things pop up over the last few years. What's been your favorite? What's your favorite conspiracy theory? You know, I don't know that I could even say, because for me, as someone who I'm supposed to be on top of things all the time, you know, I'm supposed to know everything that's that's going on. Your business cards say that, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm supposed to be, because I'm a reporter, Mm -hmm. you know, surely I should know all this stuff. And I will have people send me things videos and articles and then you know it's i'm going down a hole trying to figure out well how did i miss this what was the research who is this researcher and then feeling i i think maybe a lot of people if we see something like this um you know something saying that you know there's a deep state and there's elites right control that's probably one of my favorites that there's a group of elites that are you know the puppet masters and controlling everything and they're pedophiles all of them yeah mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> yeah you know but there's no real evidence there's nothing nothing's been uh nothing's been tried in court there's no evidence of, that it doesn't exist because either. the elites are yeah. covering it up that's right <laughs> but from a perspective as someone who you know you try to be aware and intelligent Then you get this feeling like, what am I missing out on? Or how have I been so stupid that I didn't know this was going on? And some of the people that share these conspiracy theories, they make you feel stupid. For not knowing. Yeah, that you didn't know this or you weren't logical enough to figure this out. And so this brings up something that we talk about in class, and it's one of my favorite topics. It's called performative sharing. The idea that people share information Not to share information, but to show that they knew something before you did. (laughs) And so that's why people don't check things for authenticity, because they want to send it out first, right? They want to be first. And of course, you know, news organizations get blamed for that too, right? For wanting to be first rather than correct. So I think that that's a human thing, but it's so, I just think it's fascinating to think about all of the psychological reasons, not just technological, but psychological reasons that conspiracy theories exist. Because there is that um, sense of community and the desire to try to explain something that can't be explained. They're not going away. 
We all see them. So in our last moments, let's talk about how we approach them as critical thinkers. What are some of the questions we need to ask when we see something that smacks of a conspiracy theory? The problem is, is that it takes time. Mm -hmm. And you might not want to take that time. You might be um, completely on board for whatever conspiracy theory that you are faced with at the time. So that's kind of the first hurdle, right, is to acknowledge the fact that we might have our own biases when it comes to that. But you always want to go to the very basic, basic question. Who's the sender of the message? What's their motive or intent? How was the message created to make you think or feel a certain way? Who's the intended audience? You want to look for word choices. You want to look for what photos are used. You want to look for any evidence at all. And if there's an author, research them, see who they are. You want to take that time just for your own benefit. But like I said, that's the big challenge, right? It takes time. You know when you're putting a story together how, how long it takes to do that. It can take hours to get to the root of things. And what I have found with some search engines mm -hmm. is you don't get all the results. No, 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 no. There's those algorithms again, mm -hmm. right? So you want to use as many different search engines as possible. Google is great for facts, not necessarily for knowledge. You know, when I mentioned Deep State, there's probably a lot of listeners that say, wait a minute. I believe that I may have just offended someone because there was actually a poll done several years ago that said that about half of Americans believe that there is a conspiratorial deep state. OK, and I'm not discounting any of them. But how do we put these things in perspective as, you know, who believes it and how many people around me believe this? And how many believe it seriously and how many believe it as sport? Okay. Meaning? Um, that they don't necessarily believe it completely, but they're going along for the ride just for the entertainment value. So what's a good way for you to tell that person that they're wrong? Or do you? You know, usually I, I don't try and I'll just say, that's interesting. I'll have to research that. And, and that's where I have to leave it. Yeah. Or else it'll drive me crazy. Have you had one actually become a story? I don't think so, because for many things, it's hard to flesh out. Yeah. And because of the standards that right. we have as far as sources, if I can't find a source, if I can't find two sources, really, that are willing to say, yes, this is indeed happening, I really can't run with it. Well, and so maybe that is a great benchmark for the rest of us as well. Can you find two people that can verify what you've heard or what you've read or what you've seen. And willing to put their name to it. And, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Anonymous sources are easy to find. <laughs> Maybe that's a good benchmark for the rest of us. Maybe we should all attempt to be reporters. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Megan Lynch with media literacy expert Julie Smith. What the Media is produced by Odyssey St. Louis from the studios of KMOX Radio. Our executive producer is Beth Coglin. We invite you to visit KMOX.com for more on our media literacy project. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.